So we are living in a world of data or the world in which there's overload of information, overload of connections, overload of posts. I mean, even on LinkedIn, I sometimes struggle to follow things which I want to follow because there are so many of those. So you have to make it time bound. So how do you see this information fatigue and how does it impact privacy, especially when you are managing or creating these data sets? What do you observe in terms of impact on privacy? You know, I think that uh, that decision fatigue affects each of us every day. Right. Um, when we download apps uh, and accept a EULA without reading it, mm-hmm. when we when we visit a website and say allow all cookies because we can't be bothered to to read it and think about it, when we make a crappy password for our new account because we haven't installed the password manager. Yeah. Uh, when we use the same tools and websites that we know are tracking us and abusing our data, <laughs> but we just don't have the energy to find an alternative to Google or Facebook or Amazon, right? Yeah. Um, you know, Fred Kate, uh, who's a, a privacy researcher from Indiana University. Mm-hmm. Um, he wrote a, uh, a paper that I really like uh, uh, called uh, Notice and Consent in the World of Big Data um, back in 2013 that, mm-hmm. that uh, is really good. Um, he's actually written a lot of stuff that, that mm-hmm. I like um, that really sort of talks about that, right? Now, seven years ago, um, of course, I didn't read it in 2013. I just read it a couple, of, you know, a, a while ago. But you know, um, but but also even the the FTC back 10 years ago was talking about this stuff, saying that that notice and consent was inadequate to protect consumers. Right. Um, and I think we have to come to grips with that. That there are so many companies throwing so much at us that just telling us that they're taking our information and saying, yeah, do you want to opt in? Is doesn't that doesn't work anymore because we don't have time to even evaluate that equation. Indeed. And I think it's challenging. It's challenge if it's challenging for us as privacy professionals, how much of challenge a normal person not understanding and knowing about privacy would have. That's what is amazing and fascinating because the real problem is there, not with us, because we still understand. And with that, we can detect or we can observe if it's suspicious website or not. But a normal layman just browsing Internet, he or she may not have or will not have those skills to have even that judgment. Forget about reading the privacy notice or cookie statement. Yeah, I I agree. If you, if you look at uh, data subject access requests, you know, I think some of the same logic applies. You know, I love the fact that the GDPR and the CCPA gives people the right to request their information, the right to modify, the right to delete. But when you have, you know, so many data brokers and data holders out there, who has the time to contact all of them and go through their individual you know, request processes to be able to to do that. Yeah, that's you know, hundreds or, or thousands of times. 
Yeah, that's one part. And another part is even when you request. Then they ask for more information because they some of the companies they, their approach is more uh, other way around. Prove me that I have your data. Send me your uh, uh, what do you say ID card and so they're asking more data and it, it it's counterproductive and unless you have really an intention to drag them into a inquiry or a complaint, uh, it doesn't work or you have a solid case. Right. I think that'll get better, but you know it's it's not working particularly well right now. Um, yeah. I think you know the the Attorney General of California knows that. Um, Consumer Reports just did a, uh, a piece on it saying that the process is not working particularly well. Um, I've got a friend, um, a privacy researcher out in California, uh, Craig Erickson, who's been doing a lot of research on DSARS. That's uh, mm -hmm. pretty interesting, his work. And, you know, there's also uh, some companies that are trying to offer some third-party tools right. to, to, to help, right? But they're not quite there yet. Um, and because of the identity resolution issues, that's a little problematic still as well, right? Uh, I think we'll get there, but it's just not working at the moment. I think it's a, it's a journey we are on and we're in the early part of journey. And usually laws tend to lag technology and then the implementation tends to lag laws. So technology has gone far, 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 far ahead. Then the laws are coming in. Okay, there's GDPR, but for the rest of the world, it's still in progress. And then for companies, they are still in implementation phase. So yes, it's a journey and it, we are not there yet. I would share that view. And in that context, if we see in the US, we have had the CCPA and now recently we've also had the state of Virginia passing uh -huh. their own privacy law. So what's happening there? Are we in for a uh, law per state or will there be a federal law? And I ask this because I have also been part of one of the discussions with fe federal committee which came to Brussels and they asked, is it good to have a federal law or not? But that was two, two and a half years ago. So what are you seeing sitting in the US? So there's no way we're going to have 50 state laws on privacy. <laughs> uh, and I'll tell you why, because business uh, corporations aren't going to allow that to happen. Yeah. You know, I would we're not going to have seven state privacy laws, I, I would say. Uh, you know, business and corporations uh, lobbying efforts will just prevent that from ever happening. Not, I don't think that they can necessarily prevent states from passing those laws, but they'll put pressure on the federal government to pass a federal law before that happens. But here's what I think is more likely to happen first. I think we're going to have a U.S. federal data breach law first, and I think that may come as soon as this year mm. um, because it's really crazy to have 50 state laws. That was, that was one of the things that I – first <laughs> sort of giggled about when I was, you know, working for uh, uh, CSR, the, the privacy company that I was uh, working for. Uh, why do we have 50, you know, state laws? Um, yeah. It's it's pretty crazy. Uh, it's, it's incredibly hard for any business that has a data breach to try to figure out what the heck they're supposed to do once that data <laughs> breach happens. 
Um, it, it's magnificently crazy. Yeah, but that's the challenge from a company perspective remains, I believe, similar because even if US would have a federal law, then there's GDPR, then there's Brazilian law, then there's Australian, Canadian, Indian, Chinese, and everybody's having a law. And the beauty of it is most of them tend to anchor around GDPR, but just to nuance so that nobody can say they've copied from GDPR, they add a few things or change the word here and there. And that's the funny part, because then you're making it difficult for the companies. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they so, want to be they want to be independent, but that just actually makes it more complicated. Right. I would have rather preferred like uh, I think in 1980s they came up with OECD guidelines for data protection, the principles. Mm -hmm. And if yeah. they would have extended that, at least a majority of big countries would have agreed on a common set of principles and then adopted it into a regulation or a law. But uh, uh, there has been a fair amount of gap between what they passed in as principles and what they are doing in the laws. It's completely my law, my law and my different thing. That's where it is. But you've been in uh, content marketing and you've been in uh, marketing and we recently or in these days we are hearing about Apple and Google introducing privacy related changes. There's the ATT and then there's the resistance from Facebook or so-called uh, advocation on behalf of the small businesses. How do you see all this in context? Because now you can take a perspective from marketing side as well as well as from the privacy side. So how do you see this situation? Well, I think the, the, the first point to make is that if Facebook wants to try to, to battle Google and Apple, at least as far as the mobile platform, they lose because they don't own the platform, right? Yeah. Uh, there's no way they can win that war. Uh, so you know they can they can lobby in the newspapers all they want, um, but they can't they can't win there. Um, the advertisers still though they they want advertisers want first party data, right? They right. they have first party data. And they want a way to track external IDs. So it's not like Facebook is going to lose everything. Right? No. They're still going to have a, a part to play. And companies like the Trade Desk and LiveRamp, right, they're not going to disappear just because Apple and Google are making this change. Um, there's still a large role to play for that ecosystem. It's just going to be different than it was under the cookie world and under the third-party data regime, right? So what's really happening is we're going from a world where everybody was sharing data back and forth with third-party data sort of ruling, where everyone was sharing data uh, between vendors, right, to now a world where we have to try to figure out how to just use primarily first-party data. Hmm. Now, obviously, vendors and companies try to get around that, right? But ultimately, they're going to have to figure out how to 
how to live with first party data. There are some ways to live with first party data, but still be able to get the benefits of third party data. Mm-hmm. That's what Google is trying to do with Flock, right? Mm. It allows you to use federated learning to get the benefits of third party data, but not actually have to share that third party data with the person who's getting it, right? There's no sharing of the data, only the insights. So the data never actually leaves Google, only the insights. And there are other companies that are developing that kind of technology as well. Um, There's a startup called InfoSum that's doing that, but big players like, like IBM are doing it as well. And I expect that that same kind of technology is going to flow into organizations like the Trade Desk and, and LiveRamp, right? And so you'll end up with companies that are building profiles, right, on com- uh, uh, data brokers that have profiles on companies, on, on consumers, using that same kind of technology to share our data with first-party uh, advertisers, with, with advertisers who have first-party data on us. So they'll get the same benefit of what they've been doing, but without having to move our data physically around and mm-hmm. risk exposure. Thanks for listening. And now we ask you for some help. Take a moment to subscribe and review this podcast. Your support matters. And if you have done it already, thank you so much. Now, if you have questions or suggestions, drop an email at hello at fitforprivacy.com. And finally, if you know someone who will benefit from this, share this podcast with them and help us grow. Thank you so much. Stay safe and see you next time.